Welcome to the Northern Business Podcast. Each week we talk to people active in business and the economy about the big issues driving growth in the North of England. We're sponsored by Virtue Motors, one of the UK's largest motor retailers. Check out its website at virtuemotors.com. I'm Graham Robb, owner of Recognition PR. We help scores of businesses promote their products and services, and some are featured on this podcast. Make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on, on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. In the studio today, we have Sim Hall, founder and managing director of Popular Select Recruitment. Down the line, we have Ben Zaranko, senior research economist at the Institute of Fiscal St- for Fiscal Studies. And later, my colleague Josh will be speaking to Dr. Arnab Basu, CEO of Chromec PLC. And the reason we got you all today is that next week, the government will be publishing its autumn statement on the UK economy. And we've got to have the Institute for Fiscal Studies on to talk about that. Uh, ben, welcome. And we'll talk about what business thinks with both yep. you and Arnab Basu a little later. So, Ben, um, tell us through the, um, the sort of landscape by which Jeremy Hunt, the Chancellor, will be making his announcements next week. The, the big picture here is that the economy has held up a little bit better than we might have expected six months or a year ago. And as we've seen big announcement today from the National uh, Statistics Office, which is inflation's coming back down. It's now selling about 4.6%. It was in double figures early this year. I think most of the explanation for that is comes from global energy prices, global food prices, but the government is taking its share of the credit, at least for not making things any worse. So that's good news. But I think that there's also going to be a difficult period on the horizon for the government's finances, but also for households and for firms, as some of the big increases in interest rates that we've seen continuing to filter through to the economy. So think about someone rolling off their fixed-term mortgage, might see a big increase in repayments. There's quite a lot of economic pain still to come. And the Chancellor obviously also have one eye on the general election, which we're expecting next year, potentially trying to set some political traps for the opposition. So there's a lot going on. Still a quite difficult period economically, but certainly an interesting one. I run two shadow MPCs with a, a, a colleague firm, uh, Clive Owen LLP, uh, one in the northeast of England and one in Yorkshire. And both of these shadow MPCs felt that the Bank of England didn't act quickly enough by putting interest rates up to tackle inflation and, co- and also that they have acted too slowly to pause the rates of interest and there's a feeling that pausing and having the effects come through now is the right decision by the bank which they've done so there's an element of they did it too little too late originally and now possibly they've done too much for too long that's an important uh, thing to get right a balance to get right isn't it Absolutely. It's an extremely finely balanced and difficult set of decisions for the for the actual MPC. Uh, I think with, with hindsight, I think the that view that they were too slow in acting is absolutely the, the correct one. I think that's much easier to say after the fact, but I think there were people saying that also at the time. But the decision about what to do from here really is tricky. So I think they'd be reluctant to go too early in starting to cut rates again. I think they'll want to make sure that they are very confident that in the worst of the inflationary bout is behind us. I think the risk is that they, in waiting to make sure that it's absolutely clear, they do wait too long before starting to cut rates. And some people are forecasting a recession next year. We're expecting unemployment to start rising. We're expecting 
firms to be starting to struggle a little bit more than today. If they do wait too long, they might end up, as, as you say, overdoing it, pushing us further into a recession than we need to. And we may even end up with inflation below where we'd like it to be. So it's a very difficult uh, path to walk. Uh, I'm glad I'm not on the MPC having to make those calls. But yeah, it's an absolutely key one for the British economy. All right, we'll just pause your commentary now and come back to you for some specifics in a moment. But Sim Hall, you are in recruitment. Yeah. And are, are you tend to recruit high-end people and yes. people with specialist qualifications in STEM. Yes. But... The data on employment this week saw more than 30 million people active as employed in the UK. That's a record high. Is that being reflected in what you see? If the bank has got it right and they just stop now, unemployment should stabilise. But if they've got it wrong and it does what Ben suggests, unemployment's going up. We have seen unemployment go up. I mean, throughout uh, 22, a bit like the, the global macroeconomy, the demand for labour was very high, both in uh, uh, nationally but also internationally, and the supply was weak. We are seeing that softening now, and uh, uh, you know we're seeing unemployment rates go up, creep up. It's getting that balance right. You're absolutely correct. Where we're focused, which is uh, principally in the uh, science and engineering sectors, um, there's still a high demand, definitely and it's still growing. Now, we're also working in the SME sector with uh, scale-up businesses, with technology companies that are scaling up. And again, that, that demand is still strong. And I think that there's, that could be made stronger to get that balance correct. Okay, well, let's pause on the employment uh, issue and move into some of the things that could come out of the autumn statement. Because what the Chancellor doesn't want to do is to make inflation worse. He's got it to his target of below um, 5%, but it still isn't at the Bank of England's target of 2%. Um, good news, but, you know, two cheers, not three. Anything he does next week could affect inflation. So what's he going to stay away from and what do you think is he going to look at, Ben? I think this is a precarious moment because, as you said, the job's sort of half done. Uh, the Chancellor is in effect you know, celebrating having won the game before the balls crossed the line. I saw, I think the BBC described it <laughs> earlier. And anything now, as I said, that, you know, there's an election on the horizon that's clearly dominating a lot of people's minds in within Westminster. If you, you were to go for a big bang pre-election tax cut, the risk is that that would push inflation or put more money back in people's pockets, push up demand in the economy. The Bank of England might have to keep rates higher for longer. And we end up actually having a larger ultimate economic downturn. So I think that now is not the time for that sort of big, what we'd call fiscal loosening, those big packages of spending increases or tax cuts. That's from a macroeconomic point of view. But even just looking at the government's finances, I think the case for that is really quite weak at this moment in time. That's not to say that he might not find the money to do a few things around the edges. I'm sure we'll come to talk about a few of those specific options. But I think that, that case for that big tax cut that makes inflation worse really not very strong at this point. So the retail offer to the general public, not there. Let's talk about, for first of all, the general public's tax bill. There is headroom. There's a bit of money in the government's budget. Can you sort of explain where you think it is and how it's come about? Yeah, I think it's useful as well just to talk about when when people like me are talking about headroom, what we mean. What, what we mean is that the government has set itself 
a, it's a self-imposed target, which is to stop debt from rising as a fraction of national income in the in the medium term. And in March, the government was meeting that target, but only by a very narrow margin, by about six or seven billion pounds, which in the in the, you know, the grand context of things is almost nothing. What might happen this autumn is that things have held up a little bit better. Tax revenues coming in higher than expected. It's possible that they'll be meeting that that target by a slightly larger margin. So that's what when people say there might be more headroom, that's what they mean. So the government could do some extra tax cuts or some extra spending and still be on track to deliver on that target. Now, I don't think it's going to be large sums. I think whatever sums there are, it's going to be extremely uncertain. It'll be based on projections for what's going to happen to the economy, to inflation, to interest rates over the next three, four or five years. All of that's very difficult to predict at any time, very much so now. And so taking that uncertain improvement in the medium term outlook and spending it today on a pre-election sweetener would be a gamble. And so I think that he may feel he has to do it for political reasons, but I think the economic case for that, again, isn't especially strong. So it's likely, possibly, to leave that till next March when there's a proper budget rather than a statement of the economy. And what he could do is get, we're a business podcast. There's some things he could do on business which are getting seen ventilated in the media. Uh, for instance, full expensive uh, expensing of capital items. What's your, what's your view on the costs and possibilities for that? So that was the flagship, one of the flagship things that the Chancellor announced earlier this year. He has, it basically means that businesses get to expense uh, any investment in plant and machinery 100% of it upfront, so reduce their tax bill rather than expensing, uh, get, deducting a bit over time. It's basically a bigger, it's a tax subsidy for investment for firms. That was announced for three years. It's meant to expire in 2027. He could decide he wants to make that permanent. So I think someone described that this week as saying businesses don't need a Black Friday sale or one, you know, get it now or it goes away. They want permanent stability and predictability in the tax system. I think there's a lot to be said for that. I think if he did have a little bit of space to do something, I think that would be a sensible way to spend it. The UK has chronically low investment levels. Anything that promotes that, I think, would be a good thing. I'd be very welcome for businesses. It would make the UK tax system more competitive. It's not costless, but I think that would be a broadly sensible move. So that's the sort of thing he might be looking at, but he might also be looking more broadly at options uh, to help businesses too. And in an interview coming up, we're going to hear from a, a tech business. It's a, it's a biological and a, a very high technology business in the Northeast about why fully expensing versus R&D tax credits is a difficult balance. But in regular business life, rather than R&D-based businesses, uh, the full expensing makes sense because I'm looking at say, this machine, this computer screen I'm looking at you on, uh, if that can be fully expensed, that's great. But uh, at the moment, I could fully expense, or next year, when I could fully expense my stationery, but not the machine. Yeah. So it, it's just an incentive to invest, isn't it? All right, then let's look at um, other things. Let's look at the, the actual taxation of people and particularly this gap between people who are on basic rate income tax and people on uh, higher rate income tax, the 20% to 40%. Because he's frozen the thresholds, there's quite a lot of people who are on what would be considered moderate, moderate, moderate jobs, like police sergeants, for example, who are suddenly going to be paying, as a result of inflation, 
um, they're going to be paying 40% tax, aren't they? Do you think there's any chance he'll do anything about that this time, or will that be March? It's possible that the Chancellor will look at that. I think the reason why it's become such a big issue is that when when those freezes in thresholds were announced, inflation was expected to be you know hovering about two or three percent. That that big package of measures was originally expected to raise about eight billion pounds. We're now expecting it to raise more like sixty because inflation has soared. That's bringing in huge sums to the Treasury that weren't even expected. But the reason why it's quite attractive to a chancellor trying to raise taxes is that those freezing of the of the thresholds, it, no one sees an increase in the tax bill overnight. It's not as obvious or salient to people. It's a, a bit of a stealth tax. And so he might think, he might like to unpick some of that. He might like to give some of those middle earners a tax cut, but that he's also, you know, he's not blessed with lots of choices here. He's quite impemmed in by some of the other economic and fiscal uh, forces. And so I'd be surprised if that was his first port of call, mm. if he did want mm. to um, provide a tax cut, though I'm not privy to those discussions, so it's perfectly possible. Sim, you are operating in that SME market as well. What kind of thing would you like to see the Chancellor do that might affect and help them? It, particularly in the areas that we're, we're, we're working in with that technology aspect to it. You've mentioned R&D tax credits. That's, that's a big thing. Um, there's another couple of areas I think that could really help stimulate things, and that's with the uh, Enterprise Investment Scheme, the EIS, and the, the SEED uh, EIS. At the moment, that's scheduled to end in April 25. Um, it'd be very straightforward to extend that, which we're allowed to do now, and he's allowed to do that out of the EU, and that could, again, um, stimulate some growth there. I think also some uh, more attractive uh, tax attractive investment schemes for SMEs would help uh, retain employees as well as, again, try and keep that wage bill down. Okay. Now, there's one other thing, and I know Arnab will be talking about it in a minute as well, and that is to try and get more money invested in companies, particularly PLC companies or AIM-listed companies through the city, and that is to play around with ISAs Tell us a little bit about how ISAs work from a tax point of view and whether there's room to make them more flexible, Ben. Well, ISAs basically provide you a tax-free vehicle for saving. If you are, if you, everyone gets a thousand pounds allowance, basically, where if you make that much return on your savings, you get a thousand pounds tax-free. After that, you start paying it as if it's income tax. So if you were that police sergeant you were talking about, you'd lose 40p in every pound above that. ISAs, you don't have to worry about that. You basically get a tax-free return, whether it's in a cash ISA, getting you a certain return, or a stocks and shares ISA, where it's more uncertain. Um, the latter is more variable, and people can invest in stocks and shares from all over the world. You can invest in you know, the US stock market, the Japanese stock market, if you want. And I think what the Chancellor's keen on is trying to promote products that encourage more investment in the UK, and in particular, trying to provide more funding to UK small cap businesses, the sort of innovative businesses you might want to promote to promote the growth of the future, trying to find financial products that encourage ordinary people to channel their savings down those productive avenues. The thing about the ISAs is that it's £20,000 you can invest, and he might raise that amount, but you have to choose. It's either stocks and shares or cash, 
And if you're putting it in cash, the interest rates are high, so it's going to drag it away from stocks and shares. And it's the kind of example of why some of the stocks in London aren't performing as well as stocks elsewhere. I think there's some truth to that. And I think the other attraction for the Chancellor of loosening up some of these rules is that it won't necessarily cost him anything or cost him much at all. And so it's a sort of budget neutral thing you can mm. do that might be uh, good news in terms of attracting more funding into the city. All right, we're going to leave it there, Ben, but I'll ask you one last question. How do you think the economists, not necessarily the general public, but people like the team at IFS are going to judge this from a point of view of success or failure, this autumn statement? I think that the Chancellor's got a delicate balancing act. And I think that we live in, in a very uncertain economic period. We've had a succession of very difficult shocks to deal with. And I think that now we're in a world where there's much higher interest rates, the outlook for growth isn't great. We haven't got much room for mistakes. We haven't got much room to be making poor choices and i think the chancellor has an opportunity here to cement a bit of stability and certainty into our policy making and to try and leave the government finances maybe in a better position than he left them he will also face the temptation to try and set traps for labor and maybe do things that don't necessarily make a whole lot of policy sense but make life more difficult for rachel reeves and i think from an economic point of view it would be good if he could resist going down the latter route and try and take some sensible decisions that provide a bit of certainty to businesses, maybe support households that need it most, and promote the UK's long-term growth prospects rather than just the Conservative Party's prospects at the next election. I've got a column in the newspaper tomorrow in Newcastle where I'm saying it should be boring. Do you agree <laughs> it should be boring? Would you, would you be happy if it was boring and just stable was number one thing? I think boring would be good. I think there's there's a case for only having one of these events a year rather than mm. two. Mm. Having two provides an incentive to always pull a rabbit out of the hat. Mm. Sometimes a simple update, things are going okay, back to it, that would be welcome also. Sorry to viewers and listeners. I don't want to make it a sleep fest on this podcast, but there we are. You definitely were very helpful in laying it all out, Ben. It's always great to have you on. Thank you very much. I understand your work's cut out next week because you're going to have to help the team uh, produce your IFS analysis by which all chancellors quiver and quake to see what you think. But best of luck to you working overnight next Wednesday. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Before we leave our studio guest, though, Populous, we were talking about what you do, but you've also been expanding and expanding abroad. Tell us about that. We have, yes, absolutely. We, we, uh, we, we've opened up an We've got an increased presence in Europe and we've got an increased demand for what we're doing, particularly in Germany. And we took the decision. We've got uh, somebody we've got working for us across there and we took the decision to open an office. So, yes, that's uh, Karlsruhe in, um, in Western Germany and uh, just off the Rhine there. So it's a, a great area for expansion, great area for opportunity for us. Great. Well, well done, Sim. Thanks for Thank coming in much. today. Thank you, Ben. We'll stay Thank with you. the uh, autumn statement now and over to my colleague, Josh uh, Mason, who's speaking to Dr. Arnab Basu, uh, CEO at Chromec PLC. Thanks, Graham. Delighted to be standing in for my colleague, Josh Havakin today. And joining me to give his views on next week's autumn statement is Dr. Arnab Basu, who is chief executive of Chromec. Arnab, what are the major 
uh, economic challenges facing your sector at the moment? Look, Chromec operates in, in primarily in the defense and security and medical imaging uh, markets uh, across the globe, actually. And we are an export-oriented, high-technology, innovation-led business based in the uh, in the northeast of England and, and in, in Pittsburgh and, and California and America. Look, uh, we're also a listed business uh, in, in the AIM market. And over the last uh, couple of years or, or since the pandemic, industry in every sector has been challenged by plethora of 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 difficulties um you know starting from high inflation to supply chain issues to uh shortages skill shortages and 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 since then uh access to capital and 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 really the public markets particularly the investment market has been affected quite badly if you look at uh, the market that we are uh, listed in uh, which is in in London, uh, the market itself has gone down 30% in the last two years. Very few IPOs are happening, which is another key indicator in the market. And in general, there is more money going out of of, of the public markets than coming in. So it, there is there is a real uh, uh, need for addressing some of those issues, which are key to sustaining small growth companies, medium-sized growth companies with technology and innovation at the forefront of it, of, of their uh, plans and agenda. So I think whatever the chancellor can do to address the issues of our current public markets, and of course that percolates into the private markets as well in terms of financing and the financing ecosystem, is going to be a big help, whether it's pulling levers such as the EIS uh, scheme and, and, and allowing more money to come in or or whether uh, through addressing some of the capital gains concerns that long-term investors have. So so in terms of practical measures then, what would you like to see this time next week? Look, uh, our business is also, uh, uh, you know, is is uh, does quite a lot of R&D and we have traditionally and, and over the years and we continue to benefit from comp- the government's uh, R&D tax credits, um, which many companies like ours benefit from and that is a fantastic scheme that the UK government has has had in place for a number of years and continues to do so but over the last 12 months the uh, the scheme has changed and the scheme has changed or rather balanced or rebalanced towards a bit more growth oriented so if you're a pure r&d company you're actually for pound of r&d you are spending in, in your company you're able to get less credit, less tax credit for the every pound that you're spending. But you benefit if you're at a phase where we've got a lot of making a lot of capital expenses throughout throughout the full expensing uh, scheme that the government has uh, sort of introduced. So on the balance uh, for, for R&D companies, I think the tax credit remains a very important tool as a stimulus to spend in R&D and attract investment in R&D. So I think from, from our point of view, it'll be great to see addressing uh, access to finance and, and, and helping the public markets in, in terms of bringing more liquidity, attracting more money into the public markets, which means the overall uh, markets are more buoyant, uh, the activities increases, the city, uh, you know, sort of feels a better sentiment. And and also the R&D tax credit, of course, uh, you know, addressing some of the challenges that that comes in as, as new policies have come in would be great. 
Thanks, Arnab. Well, R&D tax credits are certainly something that he's uh, tweaked with in, in, in the last couple of uh, discussions. So let's see if uh, he can use some of the fiscal headroom to uh, make some changes this time. Thanks very much, Arnab. Graham, back to you. Thanks, Josh. Now, if you'd like to join us as a guest on the Northern Business Podcast, feel free to get in touch. It's easy if you get in touch on LinkedIn. Uh, thanks to our podcast producer, Harry Sinclair, and our technical operator, Robin Campbell. Join us next time for the Northern Business Podcast. Never miss an episode. Like, rate, or subscribe on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts.